everyone remembers their first football boots. The ones you saw your favourite player wearing. Maybe Ronaldo's Superflies or Wayne Rooney's T90s. Remember trying them on in the shop, then getting home, opening the box and imagining yourself scoring a hat-trick in the Champions League final. Now Nike didn't just sell you football boots, they sold you dreams. Here's what's coming up on The Boot Room. If somebody told me back then that they could be a $2 billion footwear, uh, football business, uh, you'd have been hard-pressed because you couldn't even in. You couldn't see it from where you were. How can that be when Zidane has just scored two goals in a World Cup final, but the picture I get in my head when I think of that World Cup is the Nike boots around Ronaldo's neck. It's hard to believe today with over $2 billion in sales and stuff, but then it was zero. It was pretty much zero sales. So they ranked you accordingly in terms of, you know, your priority for the company, and it just wasn't there. This is the story of Nike, a story of success and resilience. This is The Boot Room. Let's take it right back to the start, even earlier, the 70s, a time where football and fashion had no correlation, it was just all about the game. This, the decade Nike made the first step in their journey to the top of the game. In 1971, Nike announced their debut with the release of their first ever football boot, and it's not the success story you'd imagine. The Nike was a black and white leather boot, the very first to bear the Nike swoosh. It cost $17 and it, it was rubbish. Now we all know nothing's perfect in the beginning but for Nike, this may even be an understatement. The boot could hardly endure anything but sunny weather, it practically fell apart in the rain. And I'm sure as you can guess, it wasn't long before Nike put football to one side and continued their focuses on the sports they were already known for. But don't worry they'd be back. After disappearing for a few years, Nike made their return to football in the late 70s. This time, they were ready for the game. But they needed to play it safe. And so they did. To begin with, Nike signed an equipment deal with their local team, the Portland Timbers, in 1978. Over the next two years, Nike were going to sign deals with 10 local associations and almost 40 players. In 1982, Nike signed a footwear deal with Aston Villa. This was the first ever footwear deal they had with a European team. The same year, same Villa team and the same footwear found themselves playing against Bayern Munich in the finals of the European Cup. Villa still hanging on nil-nil. Mortimer, Shaw, Williams prepared to adventure down the left. There's a good ball played in for Tony Morley. spoke to a former Aston Villa player and Nike's first ever soccer promotions manager, Mick Hoban, on his recollections of the event. My old teammate on the Timbers, Peter Wyth, who was a legend at the Villa, um, scored the winning goal. And I was present in the stadium, I'd flown up from the States. Our local guy in the UK, Tony Penman, again, had, had gone to the Villa with a proposal for a footwear contract. They'd accepted it. And so they were literally the first club in Europe to do a footwear contract with the players group. So in Europe at that time, we had multiple clubs at lower levels, amateurs in Scandinavia, semi-professionals, 
and we had a, we sponsored a few individual players, but the Villa were the only club to have a team footwear contract. So if, if you imagine the, the European Cup or the Champions League of today, picking one team, sponsoring that team, and lo and behold, then that team wins, mm -hmm. wearing your products, it, it was just like a jackpot. And especially since the goal was scored by my old Timbers teammates. So, you know, I had a personal connection of having played with the Villa. I knew Peter well. It was the only team responsive for footwear. And then to win on the night and to win against Bayern Munich, which, who were the symbol of Adidas. Mm. You know, so if you think about Adidas today, you think about the German national team and you think about Bayern Munich. Well, for them to beat Bayern Munich in the three strikes was just... And the two of the more senior guys at Nike had made the trip over as well. And at the end of the game, Lee, I remember him turning around and going... <laughs> I started to say, and the bloody hell is this happening, you know? It was just like uh, gold dust. And gold dust it may have been. From here on, it was nowhere but up for Nike. The very same year, Scottish footballer Steve Archibald became the first player to ever score a goal at the World Cup wearing Nike boots. This would be the first of many, many historical moments for the brand that would soon dominate football. Here, we have big-time football boot collector and specialist Derek Lyon to tell us more. For me, Nike really started hitting the scene, like all brands, about 1994-ish. Nike brought the Tiempo out in 94, and the Tiempo was a, a massive step forward for them. 1994 saw Brazil play Italy for the World Cup title. With eight of Brazil's players in Nike boots, this was a huge step for the company. But was it enough? I was at the 94 World Cup final working for Umbra. We were sponsoring Brazil in the final. You know, they wore uh, Umbro in the final, and that was... But we knew after that, Nike made it clear they were coming guns a-blazing. And, and they had a very simple strategy, was basically pay four or five times more than anybody else was paying. If you're paying one million, they give you four. If two, they give you ten. Nike had made it very clear it was their time to take over. The, the commitment that they made as a company after 94. For 94, they had outstanding individual players from Brazil and Italy in the product. So the statement that they made coming out of 94 is, look, we're on the world's best players. That was, that was a big statement. It required a lot of resources. The product was worthy of that at the time. So they've made up speed from the late 70s when I was there to 94. That was sort of the tipping point. And from that point, they basically put all of their resources against the soccer business and they had not done until that day. In 1996, Nike really set their name in stone by signing a deal with the Brazilian Football Federation. The following year, they would then become the first ones to create a synthetic football boot. I mean, when you go back to 98 when they released the Mercurial, you know, it was kind of generally regarded as the first ever speed boot with the synthetic upper on it. So, you know, up until then, boots had been mainly leather. Over the next 15 years, well, you know the story. Arsenal, followed by Brazil, followed by Barcelona, they even signed not one, but both Ronaldos. Nowadays, Nike has a player in every league in the world, from Sunday League to the Prem. They make on average $1.7 million every year off general football sales. They are now considered the biggest football company, 
And with a value of $36.8 million overall, they're by far the most valuable sports brand in the world today. They've come a long way from the boots that fell apart in the rain. I guess you could say Nike really got their time in the sun. But the question we're all asking now, what will they do next? Make sure you watch this space for more exclusive stories from behind the scenes of football.